0: Today is Monday, February 12, 2024, and it's a morning of mixed news, some wonderful news and some bad news. The rescue seems to be something outstanding, and two more soldiers fell in battle, one from Haifa, one from Tel Aviv. All right, I just hope the good news will continue. Uh, two questions that I was asked, these are questions I've discussed. Uh, many times in the past, but it is in Yenadioma, so let me answer them very quickly. And it's an opinionated answer. Uh, they want to know my feeling. One question is, when well, we come in Aliyah, should we speak only Hebrew, totally integrate, acclimate, or do we remain with the English as our first language, etc. And uh, there's a whole makhloket here. I've had students who came in Aliyah and uh, whenever I met them afterwards, they only spoke Hebrew. Totally integrated. My own position is that Kibbutz Goliath is a gradual process. I've cited the Ibn Ezra to you, the Doha uh, Midbar, and uh, we're caught between two worlds and it's nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, my own feeling is, take it gradually. Uh, when I look at my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, they have all integrated beautifully. Uh, there the battle is they should retain English because of the computerization of the world. But it can go at a slow pace, and I base myself upon the Ramban, Ha'achodesh Hazel Lechem rosh chodeshim. And the Ramban raises the whole issue why we have names of Hadashim like Shvat and Tevet and Kislev, but to remind us where we come from. And uh, the Hatam Seifa has a dresha based upon this Ramban that the Atid Lavo, when there'll be a Kibbutz Goliath in Israel will observe two days Yontiv Seichel It's a very powerful drosha. But it shows you integration has to be slowly but surely, in my humble opinion. It could be, it depends upon the individual. There's some people who feel that basic need, like Balei Tshuvah, to become total Israelis, and others we can take it as a process of kibbutz that doesn't happen overnight. A issue which is coming up, and if you saw the weekend papers, there were endless, endless uh, articles. It's the whole question of the army and the Haredim. And here my position has been very simple. I hold it to be halachically correct. On uh, two basic issues, the Haredim are not good Jews. They are Reformed Jews. What is Reformed Judaism? You choose what you like, what's easy for you, and leave everything else behind comes to the army milchemet mitzvah i don't see any exemption at all for anyone who's studying torah that's the Khatam seifer that i've quoted so many times in the tradition to sukkah and if we're going to say one excludes the other then someone in Eretz israel never has to govern Uh, It never has to learn Torah. He's busy building a country, Mitzvah, Yeshiva, Eretz Yisrael, according to the Ramban, mitzvah Mitzvot the Oraita. And he's busy. And how can I daven? I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm an accountant. I have to work. I have to... I'm a builder. Mama's construction in Eretz Yisrael. But Chutziva, V'Chutziva, this is all part of the Torah cycle. And this is the Gemara in Megillah, with Yahshua Ben-Nun, the malach tells them off that they were mevatel from Torah at night when they were not engaged in war. But what do you see from that? That when you have to be a soldier, you have to be a soldier. Every spare minute you open a safer. And and this is what Torah life is all about. And we in the Mizrahi world, we worked it out. It took many years. We have today many yeshiva hezda. And of have Israel, and at the same time fulfilling their obligation in a milchemet mitzvah, chetan, Kalah, etc. There's another issue where uh, I'm sorry to say, haredim are Reformed Jews, and that is tachna Talibah, core curriculum. One of the obligations of a father to a son is to teach him a trade, to give them the ability to earn a living, not, as the Gemara says, to be involved in thievery and robbery, but to earn a living, as the Reb says in Ishalacha, in dignity. And uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with learning a core curriculum. In Israel, it's a chi of the oraita, not only to be a mensch, but to build the state of Israel. This is what we just spoke about, the Ramban. So on these two issues, I'm not overly impressed with the Haredi world. There are many Lumayim uh, who have a certain derecherets for the Haredi world. I do not have that derecherets. I uh, consider myself just as firm and just as learned and just as good and even a better Jew because I'm not a Reformed Jew I accept the old Torah, the yoke of Torah, in its entirety. And as far as individuals who get all upset, I don't get upset anymore, because I understand we're in two different worlds. Now, how we can solve the problem with the Haredim, this is a question that no one yet has the proper solution. It's obvious you can't force them into the army, and uh, you can't force them into... Uh, 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 core curriculum, but you know, it's a gradual process, and it's already begun. And our role is to lead the way. I often have said this: that why you people who have produced gaonim, Sadikim, chassidim, and sheimaisa, and at the same time people integrated into yeshivah in Ha'aretz and the 20th century, the 21st century, it's our obligation to lead the way and to show how it can be done without any contradiction whatsoever. And that's the approach I would take. I'm happy to tell you that there are many Haredi high school programs today that do bagrut. Uh, They're graduates. Some go on to what they call the Yeshiva Kadoshah. Some go on to Hesda. And uh, there's a lot of choice, and we have to encourage, and it. It can't be a battle that will be fought with hatred and enmity. It has to be fought with love and understanding. All right, let me go one step further. I want to thank Mark Weinstock. I told the story about Rev. Misha. Welcome, Charlie. I told the story about Rev. Misha, and here's the story as it actually happened. It took place in Ellenville. Ellenville is in the mountains, the Catskills. The team were a husband and wife, doctor and nurse, office manager they were not exactly so orthodox. She was hosting her frum sister and nephew for a few days that summer. She invited her nephew to come along to the office tomorrow since Rabbi Feinstein is coming in for a checkup. Being from a frum yeshiva, he had heard about his rabbi and who Rabbi Moshe was when he walked into the office, Rabbi Moshe walked in, the nurse, she walked over and embraced him. Afterwards, she introduced her from nephew to Rabmeisha, playfully saying, you did not think I have such from family, when he leaned into Rabmeisha and started to apologize for her sort of inappropriate behavior. Uh, she embraced Rav Misha. That's what he's referring to. Rav Misha cut off his nephew, pointing to the concentration camp numbers on her hand, on her arm, and dismissing his concerns. We don't know what they went through. So that's that's the story, and it's very moving. And um, we don't have to comment further. It has a very basic, powerful message. Okay, now I want to pick off where I left off. Uh, The question of a yeshiva curriculum, of a litvish yeshiva and chassidish yeshiva, logic versus emotion, this question haunts us until today. We haven't found the total proper balance no question, the stress was on logic. On the other hand, he was much more open to chassidim than Vilna Gong, and we discussed it in length uh, last week. Uh, I showed you a beautiful source at the end of last week's shir, and the pronunciation of the author on his grandson, who is his namesake, of Nachmushmaiyahu, his last name is pronounced as Sasonkin, S-A-S-O-N-K-I-N. And here, this document, which is about 100 years after Rabchaim Chaim Velazhin, it's the same story, that here you have a young man raised in a literature environment, his own parents, and he wants more. And he winds up in Lubavitch, and his description of Lubavitch compared to where he was before is classic. I don't have to go any further than what we call Negelvasa. At least when I was growing up, we called it Negelvasa. I don't know what they call it today. What, what, Charlie, what do they call it today? Negelvasa. So uh, in a Chesedic Yeshiva, and I understand it goes on until today, Everyone has a basin next to their bed with water to wash the minute they wake up. And we litvakin, where some of it's a tshuvah I recall, and many chronim that if it's within the house, you know, walking out of the house, you go to the lavatory and wash up. And uh, I've never yet seen anyone with Negelvasa in a Litvish yeshiva. Could be today with the swing to the right. Anything is possible at my time. It did not exist, not in Lakewood, and not in not in the YU dormitories. Uh, but he describes the davening and and the, with the mikra the morning and the tehillim and and uh, two hours of learning Kabbalah. And 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 Reb Nachman Shmaiyohu becomes attracted to it, and he leaves behind the literature world and becomes a big lababat shirav, a great Talmud Chacham surviving communism coming to israel etc and uh a lot to be said where do we draw the line now what's fascinating is and this just appeared i believe in a mishpacha magazine yeah it just appeared the mishpacha magazine david twesky uh, sent it to me david are you i'm trying to see if you're online no i don't i don't see uh, I a lot of people with small print. Okay, David Tleski, who I call uh, the Talne Rebbe, because I yet knew his grandfather, the Rebbe of, of Philadelphia. And David could have very well inherited the position. His father was not uh, at the great London. David is a Y.U. Mismach, a big Talmud Chacham. I chose to be a scientist, Charlie and uh, Morty. He chose to be a scientist, worked in Seattle, and came in Aliyah when he retired. So David Twesky sent me this article written by Rabbi Fraim Zalman Galinsky. I think I know who the author is. And it's about Rabbi Chaim Briskis' son-in-law. And here, this, the Rav always commented, we never pressed him, Rabbi, what do you mean exactly? What are you talking about? The Rav would comment that, uh, the world doesn't realize that Reb Chaim was uh, much closer to Chamsidus than the world understands. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. I did hear one story about Reb Chaim, about the, the Brishkarav, the, uh, the Yitzchak Zev, Reb Elvul, that they commented when a Hasidic Rebbe makes a bracha, it is earth-shaking. And we make a bracha, all right? Yaitzei tzuzayim, the bracha And they were speaking about some Rebbe when he took an apple. The the bracha itself was more than the apple. Well, I don't know. But one thing is an absolute fact that Reb Chaim's daughter married a chassidusha Talmud Chachim. Reb Tzvi Hirsch Glickman, G-L-I-C-K, Glickson. Glickson. I gave him an American version, Glickman. Glickson, G-L-I-C-K, S-O-N. And he was a There are many stories that uh, Rab Chaim was, uh, once there was a whole problem with the uh, hearing Kriyas Hateira, whether you need a minion who didn't hear it, or if you're davening in one Jew who didn't hear it, you can lay in. And uh, Rabbi Glixman's father argued with Rab Chaim, and he saw, oh, this family can learn. And he liked the son because he wasn't yet a bit come with Chacham in Shas. He knew Mishnayet by God was to go step, step. And Abchayim took him. I'm paraphrasing the article because he felt he could introduce him to the Brisk which he did. Now, Rabbi Zviya Hirsch uh, Glikson opened the yeshiva in Warsaw. And this yeshiva functioned for something like 30 years. And it was a tremendous synthesis between Reb Chayim and between the hasidic approach with the emotion, with the mikveh, with, with the fabrenging, all that goes with the Hasidical world. So here too you see that Rab Chaim Brisker himself, who we always viewed as the ultimate of uh, Litvish and Brisk and Belushin, and and Rab Chaim himself takes a son-in-law. And those days, you get the feeling from the article, it wasn't the girl who chose the son-in-law. It was Rab Chaim who chose. She didn't choose her husband. It was her parents. And here's Chassidah The end of that yeshiva, I think it was called Torah Chaim, the end is very sad. Uh, Hitler destroyed it all. And even on by on Rabbi Glickson, Glick's uh, there's contradictory evidence. Did he perish in the Warsaw Ghetto or did he perish in Treblinka? And according to the article, they... Check it out in Yad Vashem, and the testimony giving. another other testimony, it would seem he perished in Triplinka, not in the Warsaw Ghetto. So you see, once again, you're taking brisk. And here's an element of brisk that uh, generally people don't speak about. I need not say that the Rav, and here as a personal uh, thank you to the Rav, whatever I know about Hasidus, it all began with the Rav. He would poke the tanya. Of course, it it wasn't in the Shia. It was outside of the Shia. But uh, the public discourses, there was Kabbalah, there was Hasidus, I remember Pashit Bishala, one of the outside drashat, with Mayim Morim, and L'hamtik Yetadinim. These were all Hasidic concepts. And uh, the Rav, you you could see, he felt at home in that world. And I, I need not tell you, he gave credit, I cite this all in uh, my work on the rub, uh, in the talk he gave that uh, <coughs> when Rabbi Riskin was conquering the world, no one realizes that today, that he really conquered Israel, he failed to conquer America, but at the point he was conquering America with the yeshiva and a base Medish program and high schools, one for boys, one for girls, oh, it was Unbelievable what what the dream was at that time. And the Rav spoke at a fundraiser that honored Max Stern. And uh, there he spoke about his Rebbe Haida. And he said, I quote the Rav, if I can give this drasha tonight, it's due to my Rebbe Cheda. And he's, the emotion, the feeling, that came from Anur a, a, a Einikel the Baltanya, Rabbi Riesberg who was his rabbi in Chedah. Okay, now this question goes even further. And here I want to quote my uh, friend, Rabbi Chaim Dolphin. I have here a PDF of uh, one of the many volumes he's published, Lakewood and Labatich. And uh, I find his publications fascinating. He has a lot of material, he, archival material, uh, and he's not afraid to tell the truth and to describe what happened. Now, this volume on Lakewood and Lubavitch deals with this very problem time and again, the tension, Lakewood-Lubavitch. Rabbi Dauphin has one, uh, I would say, one fault line in that because of his own background, and I never realized this until I read some of his later volumes, in high school he wore a little kippah, he was uh, a regular modern Orthodox kid with all the good and all the difficulty in it. And yet he was raised in a Lubavitch home and he's a Lubavitch, his children are Lubavitch, uh, he always tries to make peace. And sometimes I think he's overstepping the reality because of his own love of all Jews. His work on Satma and Lubavitch, I, I said this many years ago in class when I dealt with Satna, he makes you, tries to minimize the differences between the two Rebbeim. I don't know, I think there were real earth-shaking differences between them, and we can't overlook it. Satma remains Satma, Lubavitch opened. there's, I can quote Rakeffet, there's no greater Zionist than the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Aye, did anti-Zionism, his father-in-law, and, and, and anti-Gurit Yisrael. Well, that is correct. And the Rebbe never criticized his father-in-law, but his own life speaks halavai. Everyone who claims he's not a card-carrying Mizrahiite should be like the Labavitcher Rebbe, and uh, I have to tell you here he tries to show in Lakewood he interviews people from the original Lakewood from my time in Lakewood, and he says, uh, I never heard a bad word about Labavitch, uh, and he tries to show it wasn't so uh, such a chasm, such an abyss. I have to tell you, someone who learned in Lakewood in the early years of Lakewood when Rebaran was Rebaran and Lakewood was yet the original Kletch, there was a chasm between Lakewood and Lubavitch. There was no two ways about it. And no one had to say a word. It, it was in the atmosphere. I still remember Shah Shanaga Chetapara. And I spoke of it this in great length when I dealt with the Lubavitch Rebbe. I can't repeat it now. But I still remember the sixth is Drash and Shosh and chetapara—it's it's talking about spiritual matters, not not a real bull and not a real cow. And uh, is plain and simple. Uh, and uh, th- there was no two ways about it. And I still remember in Lubavitcher, I'm reading that going into uh, Gaza, a, a Jewish kid went over to a Lubavitcher in his unit. Do you have Tzvillin with you in there? He says, of course. Could you put Tzvillin on me? And this kid didn't even know how. The Lubavitcher put it on, and the kid afterwards said, I never even had a bar mitzvah. That's the home I was raised in. I don't have to tell you, this is Israel. uh, There's a generation here that it's already five generations removed from learning a kumish with Rashi. And these kids speak perfect Hebrew and in giving their lives that, that this state should thrive. And uh, they, they, so there was no quite, When I learned in, in Lakewood, I remember their attitude, Labavitches, <laughs> street corners, Twilin, Lulavinetro, Beetle Tayrah, Beetle and And where do you draw the line? Now, today, Lakewood is, I, I, I can't say it's so big today, Lakewood, you can't describe Lakewood as one unit, but I doubt very much if there's this total enmity that I felt in my time when I learned in uh, Lakewood. When I came to YU, or this was even before I went to Lakewood, you all know, uh, it's by the way quoted in this, uh, he interviewed me, it's quoted here in his work, when I came to YU, Lubavitch was creating a storm in Crown Heights. This is the early 50s, the new Rebbe. And we and we wanted a shir and tanya. Rabbi Tenla found out he canceled it. Later years, 10, 20, 30, 40 years later, Rabbi Meishadabit Tenla would not have canceled the shir and tanya. You follow? There was a certain amalgamation here. That uh Lababica has to admit without being bucking in you Paiskim, yeah, not it's not just standing on a street corner with twilling. And a Lakewood guy has to admit that uh, with all the Shasen Paiskim, but without emotion and Barim kite and warmth, it's 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 not a Yiddish kite you can pass on. Where do you draw the line? Okay. And I'll I'll show you one more interesting source. Uh, Spiritualizing Halachic Education, A Case Study in Modern Orthodox Teacher Development. And this is by Rabbi Jeffrey Sachs. It was published, uh, this was research he did for the Mandel Foundation. Mandel Foundation, which you can, I'm going to pass driving home, right right next to the Botanical Gardens. The three brothers did very well in America and have created a a whole school and a thought process in Israel. Uh, I'm not an expert in what they do, but I'm told they're trying to broaden the ability of our leaders to integrate Israel as a Jewish state with modern democratic values. Okay, so... Rabbi Jeffrey Sachs, I don't know how many of you know him, very capable. I'm very impressed with him. I've known him for years. He's the editor of Tradition today. Those of you that get Tradition, it's Rabbi Jeffrey Sachs who's the editor. Um, He he writes beautifully and intelligently, and he has an overall very nice approach to a, a Torah civilization with learning and knowledge. But with philosophy and literature, he has a feeling for literature. He's worked on uh, uh, Shai Akhnon's writings. I believe he has to do with translations into, into English. A very impressive individual. And this entire research is struggling with the question, how do we warm up students? A kid goes to MTA. A kid goes to Flatbush a kid goes to Ramaz is it enough just to teach Shas paiskim? can you bring in spirit song negina, warm the heart this is the challenge where do you find the bridge between the two now there's no question a lot has to do with the personality of the youngster. And I, I can tell you, I say this all the time, I grew up, the greatest gift I got from YU, entering it in 1951, was I could close the door behind me and I'm in Eastern Europe. But you gotta remember my background. My seventh grade rabbi, Rabbi Geshen my eighth grade rabbi, Rechemitz Fishman, Zichronim Tzaddikim Lavracha, they didn't speak a word of English. And I remember my classmates, many of them, when are were in their homes, their parents spoke Yiddish to them. They were refugees. Some were refugees who got out in the 30s, and some were survivors. Abba Rabbi, rabbi Branspiegel, Abba Branspiegel is a classic example. Abba was when, when the rub switched to English because of Danny Greer, I can tell you, and I'm, I'm the eyewitness here, yeah, I don't have to quote anyone. I'm quoting these ears and these eyes. <laughs> so so Danny Greer says, This is 1960. says to the rub after class, Rabbi Shalovichik, you are withholding Torah from American youngsters. And the rub, the rub pops up, What do you mean? What do you mean? And he says, I'm a graduate of Princeton. I didn't know that Danny Greer knew the Rav, you see. I, I'm sitting there thinking, what chutzpah? What chutzpah? Danny Greer's father, who was one of the founders of Maria. was active in Moria. So Danny, so the Rav, the mentor of the Rav hears he graduated Princeton. The Rav, oh, I believe you understand. I don't know Yiddish. So the Rav you know what? Tomorrow this year will be in English and I'm going to give you a Khinah. This was Tuesday. Wednesday's the next year, right? Then he goes back up. The next day, the Rav switches to English. I can still see Abba, my dear Abba. My, my, my. We grew up together in the Bronx. My classmate, my friend. Uh, uh, there's stories he told me that I can't even repeat in public. If you get hold of me quietly, ask me to tell you what Abba told you about when in, in the DP camps. Today. I get, it's unbelievable so uh, i could see ava suffering suffering then after shea danny greer the chutzpan walks up to the rav the rav looks up. no you understood i think this i'm ready for the bechinda there's leave me alone i'm tired i have to get back to boston you understood and that was the end of Torah in the United States. Who the dog thinks he has Torah studying doesn't understand. Oh, God. Wow! Now, could you imagine? I'm going to take my great grandchildren and speak only Yiddish to them. It's a different world. And where do you and, and this in Israel in the Chas Yeshiva, is a very interesting question today. Some of the yeshiva have Hasidic overtones. They dance with their Rebbeim. They sing a niggin with their Rebbeim. And, and, and they want to hear Rabbi Steinholtz. So you have no idea what would, what would go on in Katamon on Yud-Hed-Kislev when, when Rabbi Steinholtz would speak for hours. In the shtivel, there were chairs all over the place. Outside, it was a sight. People came from all over. And and ninety percent of them would keep God, heads boys, etc. People want Tanya. How many editions of the Tanya do you have today? In beautiful Hebrew. And 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 you have uh, among the freebies Karov a whole magazine given out every Friday. I tell you, it pays to live in Israel just for the freebies. You can get a real newspaper every day, Israel Hayom. Friday, people wait in line on Palmachet. You might think Mashiach is coming. They get it's delivered later on Friday, and and you get all these freebies and mamish yeshiver chesda, and and even a a a a litvak Gomel, like myself. And I admit I'm a litvak. I'm not ashamed of it. But even I just moved to tears by this Chabadnik who this kid comes over to him What I told you could you put filling on me first time in the kid's life I remember my basic training I write about this in Washington so the day comes where uh all lined up in we were going to be tris- transported to the Bakum in I think it was in uh, Rama, in Pet- it was in Ramat Gan if I'm not mistaken. Basiskli Town That's where they saw you. You, you you did basically you know what I'm talking about. So I remember we're transported to Bakum and we're all waiting to be processed. And suddenly with my group, two guys pull out fill it and they walk up and down. He <laughs> they're putting on t- I said, boy, this is gonna be a great experience and it was. So I have to tell you, this question that comes up with Valoishan and the whole Machwikit, today we still struggle with it. There's no black and white answer. It depends on the individual, depends on the Rosh Yeshiva, depends on the yeshiva certain yeshivas have this type of reputation. I would say Alon uh, Shvurt, the, the, uh, for instance, Haaretzion, it's more like more intellectual, more intellectual. Uh, you'll take Lev Chaim Drupman's yeshivat, there's more emotion to it, more emotion. And, and all the yeshivat along the line, you'll find how do we balance, how do we achieve. Water finds its own level. But this machoiket that goes back to the Lushen, I don't think it's a machoiket anymore. Then we have to accept the Hasidim for what they are. The problems of tefillah shalom chutz chutzlarit shmiri atzeret, not eating in the sukkah, all right, these problems hang fire. But Chasva Chalila to drive a wedge and to create or lengthen or deepen or widen the chasm, the ibis, Chasva Chalila. And this goes back to the Chabad, Lubavitch, and Lakewood. It's a fascinating volume. And there's Raptah Shem water will find its own level the state of israel as i mentioned a half hour ago we're heading for a tremendous explosion with the army with the haredim uh, anyone who saw the weekend's papers every last uh ed piece basically and dealt with this question you find it in, in makari Shon, you find it in yisrael Hayom, you find it in many of the alonim and I have confidence, Am Yisrael, Hinei Matovah Manayim. There'll be a little bloodshed along the way. That's unfortunate, but it can't be avoided because there's extremism on all sides. But ultimately, we will find the answer of the covered Ulitferet. Now, coming back to the Lushen, and I now want to go back to the early 1800s, The volume by Moshe Shmuel Shmukla, who used the name Shapiro in America. I'm I'm not certain why. I have my own guess. Shmukla is not exactly a name that catches on. Shapiro may have been his mother's maiden name, uh, but it's one and the same person. His work on Repchayim Balazhin, as I've told you, is one of a kind. It's one of a kind. I'm going to talk about Moshe Shmuel uh, later today. It's one of a kind because he was not just a Velazian yeshiva boy, he had broadened. So there was a bit of a merger within his personality of classic Velazian and Haskalah, what I would call a feeling for academia. And this is why his Vadim Abraham Velazian is cited, did you take someone like Professor Stampfer, he cites the volume others cite the volume it is not just odd scroll it is beyond better more authoritative now in the volume he asked the and you have to remember he studied in the when it reopened after it was closed down it was closed in 1892 and he studied in Voloshim after it reopened in 1895 with Rabbi Ful Shapiro. His father studied already in the original Voloshim with Rabbi Chaim, with Rabbi Yitzchak. And, and he he knew what was going on. And here on his uh, volume, on page 63, I'm calling for Toldot Rabbeinu Chaim of Volusian, page 63. He asked a simple question. What made the lesson so successful? In other words, here you have a yeshiva that's organized. It's one of a kind. It's uh, international, not just limited to a locality. And the yeshiva takes off with tremendous success. Why? And he gives a list of the original students... The, uh, let me mention some names Rabbi Yaakov Mikalin he's the author of the Mishkanot Yaakov anyone who doesn't carry where well, there's an era there. Rabbi Aaron Rebarin Lichtenstein never carried I think even in Yushalayim he didn't carry I think only in the old city but it can be checked out by his Talmudim Rabarin didn't carry David Applebaum, Dr. Applebaum Hashem Yekom Domo he didn't carry I, it was my neighbor, my good, my Talmud Chaveh, his wife is my Talmudah, Deborah. And and he didn't carry. And anyone who didn't carry, it's the Mishkanot Yaakov. He was the one who f- the, b- fought the Beta Ephraim in Halacha. If Menashe Klein, is mother, believe me, he's not Somachan the Mishkanot Yaakov. He's Somachan the Pelesha and the Ungarisha. You have Reb Dovetedl, that's the Nachlat Dovet, anyone who learned Baba Kama, don't you use the Nachlat Dovet, this is Reb Dovetedl. Reb Zundel Misalant, Reb Zundel Misalant was the Rebbe of Rabbi Yisrael Salanta. The whole Muslim movement begins with Rebbe Zundel. Remember the story, Rebbe Yisrael Salanta sends that Rebbe, Osef Zundel is someone special, he followed him around, and Reb Zundel turns around and says to him, Lerent Musa, study Musa, and you'll be a Ureya lokim. And And he goes on and on with names, with names. Now, what, what, what made this yeshiva so exceptional? So here he introduces an idea, which again we struggle with at this very moment we're struggling with it. You see, in now. There was no concept of a Bechina for a yeshiva. You went, in your city there was a big Talmud. Chacham, anyone who wanted to study with him. Baruch Abba. You're an Chassidic kid, Kenny, you're growing up in the Belzer court. There's a shir from the Belzer Dayan and the Belzer can walk in. For you had to take a Bechina to get in. This already established that the students are going to be on a higher level. So that anyone who had a good mind, you want to learn, you want to conquer shasam paishkim, you're going to be in good company. And good company attracts good company. The reviews were excellent. Once the reviews are excellent, anyone that has a good head, there's no question. This is the place to go. Now I have to tell you, this raises the whole question. Right now, I said we're struggling with this. That's what we're talking about. The seminary seer, the the upanot. Don't we I don't want to use the word seminary because that that means the kids coming from chutzpaherts. But the Upanot or the Beis Yaakov seminaries, they're testing kids now. Not everyone can get in. The old yeshivat, you you have to write down, I think, three choices where you want to go to high school. I have a great-granddaughter who I think it was last night was tested in Chorey. And B'ezrat Hashem, she will be a third-generation Chorev student. Charlie, do you have that in your family? Three generations? Where do you have them? The same school? Chorev. Oh, yeah. oh, we're in the same boat. I got a letter today from Evelyn. She contacted Rabbi uh, 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 Broyer's daughter. There's a daughter alive. What's the name? You're related to that family. Your sister's married to her son. Oh, wow. So she confirmed what I said in class, that uh, I I thanked Evelyn. She confirmed that in the whole rave system, in the original Beit Seferi Ali in Frankfurt, either a religious Jew or a non-Jew. They would not allow a, a Jew who is not religious to teach mathematics, chemistry, She confirmed it. I said it in class, in Baruch Hashem, she confirmed it. Uh, So I'm happy to say I wasn't off base. She added more to the letter. She said one time there was a teacher in the school who, a non-Jew, and he was so impressed with the school, he asked if his daughter could attend. And they arranged for her to attend, exempt from the Jewish classes, Torah classes, but she attended. I mean, this is, this is okay. This is the whole question. How, remember, I cited this last week. I don't, It's hard for me to cite it again. But what if the Rashi Yeshiva of a high school program said, I look at the pictures in the paper of the boys that fall, the youngsters that fall, the men and women, how can I say no to a kid who wants to come to learn? Very powerful statement. But where do you draw the line? See, I It's a struggle. I, I don't know. I don't have the proper answer. All I know is that when I was a real teacher, today I'm entertaining, I'm showing off a little knowledge, I'm teaching myself. But when I was a real teacher, my wife always said, you get along with everyone. I said yes. She said, "But you have some gangsters you're teaching, true? But every person has an ashema, even a gangster, and that's why I tell you I'm so proud." In 1969, I'm on Rechov where um, Machon Meir is today. That's why I began working in this field. July 12, 1969, the Encyclopedia. That was kept the publishing. The Encyclopedia came out of that building. So I'll never forget, I repeat it again, it's a true story. So uh, some of the people working there, they taught at the university. They tell me a story that there's some American kid in the dormitory that drunk with drugs. At that time, drugs were big because it was very cheap. This was after the Six-Day War. East Jerusalem was filled with drugs coming in from the West Bank and Jordan. And smuggled them from Syria, and it was cheaper than New York. kids would come. And this kid is dead drunk, and 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 he's crying. And he and the kid, I not want to mention his name because I saw that name later in Osamaia. Who knows what happened? And and he says the rabbis are phonies and fakers, no good. One rabbi I had as a teacher, he was an honest individual rabbi broth cloth. and at the encyclopedia suddenly they're surrounding me and they're telling me the story so i came home and told them, what well, do you see gangster drugs who else who knows what crimes but he has a soul and i don't know do we only teach the geniuses or do we teach everyone on the other hand, what do you do with a kid? I have one grandson at the age of three. He's sitting in my living room. Great-grandson, I should say. And uh, this little wise guy is reading, and English reading, and Hebrew at three years old. I, he was just at the, in my house the other day. Again, Baruch Hashem, they live far. They live in Kedem, up in the Shomron. And I, I said to him, what are you starting first grade? This kid will be bored stiff. I said, you know why you go to school? You go to school to learn how to say hello to your neighbor. Follow me? Let the kid understand school. Knowledge? is not from school. School, you get a derech. opens the world to you. Wow. But this is a question we struggle with until today. Look what's happening in Harvard today. Look what's happening in Columbia. Look at today's Jerusalem Post, Columbia University. Wow, Australia, People are going underground. They want to kill every Jew in sight and the nations of the world will applaud. We solved the problem. We got rid of the Jews. Shem. No more God, no more guilt conscience, no more Old Testament, no more civilization in the world. Oh, wow. What do we doing? Uh, pr- but Belushion was like, like Harvard used to be. Someone, I, I, I don't want to embarrass Charlie, but someone said, I got my doctorate from Harvard. I thought, oh my gosh, Today, it's a gadol shebe gadolim, of tzaddikim, a of chassidim. Today, and there's a I thought, all right, I boast, I sat next to the rub during his golden era. Not the 70s that he let every Tom, Dick, and Harry say every stupid thing in class and his son Chaim turns to Rabbi Adler and says to Rabbi Adler from Teaneck, since when does my father tolerate such stupidity? Following? I'm boasting. What are you boasting? You, you it's, it's true, Barry Liebman said about my class, you sat there looking at the rub and shaking. The Rav looked around, who was giving shear. He was shaking. Is my shear on a level? We had 30 top-quality minds, from Abba Branspiegel to Heshi to right down the line, one after another. One kid was brighter than the other. And, and is, is that good? I don't know. I don't know. The truth of the matter is that in education you have to have all types of kids. The world is filled with geniuses, with average individuals, and slow pokes. And a decent Rebbe, a decent human being, you have to get along with all of them. You follow me? It's not easy, it's a challenge. And I don't know if it's worth giving exams and taking, taking all types of kids and adjust the teaching accordingly. You can give the top kids special attention, push them into more research, learning, knowledge, special classes, but have the average there. That's the world. Learn how to get along. Which takes me back to my story of, uh, I wrote about this too, but let me put it here into context. Um, the Yom Kippur War, so first I volunteered, I delivered mail. Uh, I have students from Machon Gold, so many years later, told the story to my daughter. They, they, they live in Hanauv, Sid Kaniyot, Sid So I delivered mail, and I remember telling the class, when I deliver mail, it's not just I'm doing a Gemil Chasset, Kibit my father was a mailman. So these girls said they went and volunteered to deliver mail because of me, but they didn't know the streets, they couldn't read the Hebrew, you know, you got to know how to deliver. Then I went into the army. I used Protexia, I got into the army, and you needed Protexia, a volunteer, but the, the, the troops were, you know, facing Jordan. Tens of thousands of soldiers. And, and some are board stiff. So you have to have lectures. So uh, I come into the eye lecture. Sure, and I take a oh, look. I see the guys in the army. Like the jerks you meet in life. The guy from the bank. The guy from here. The, and I came in. And I figured it's fucking out of Israel. These, this is my commander. a, 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 Rapserin, a man, He says to me. This is the Kav this the second line. He says, the real soldiers are right opposite Jordan. That's the Kav Rishon. So you see, you need a Kav Rishon and a Kav and that's life. But he makes the claim that that's why the was so great that it got off the floor with top students. You couldn't walk in. You yeah, had to take a Bechina and be accepted. And that's little she yeshiva. Malka asked me the other day, did I take a Bechina to get into? Why you? Absolutely. Not, not, not a Bechina. As far as uh, getting into the secular, to the high school, that's, they looked at your report card. That was not the... But Gemara, I was, I, I was 13 years old. I took a Bechina with Reb socks. And, and I got into the second year level, but the, uh, that's the story. Remember, he said to me, "Zaga bisul Rashi." I didn't know what he was saying to me. And Berman leaned over. I checked him out. Read Washington. Uh, Aaron, listening, was amazed. I did the. I found it. I checked what became of it, and he said he means Rashi. Oh, and ain't the Rashi Rashi, oh Rah. the You remember that or not? Oh boy. Uh, Yossi, I cannot translate it. It's off color. But it shows you what the Siddhim thought of the Litvakan that Shabas morning, after Sakras they found the and shoe with the shiksa. You follow? That's what the Hasidim taught of the Litvakin. But couldn't sabbis, I sabbis. Oh, wow, wow. Gentlemen, now, there was another factor. And, and this too is a factor in Chinuch, which Israel has it over America. You see, in America, in my time, I don't know, maybe today, I, I have a feeling it's the same thing today. Every Rebbe was rushed rabbi rothcough i knew him he had a rush out to go back to his congregation maplewood south orange you understand in one day he could say yeshi and shas and in the yeshiva then he's in the rabbinate and and in the evening he's giving a lecture in some sisterhood in the reformed temple you understand they're in motion Today, you, you have Rebbeim in YU for the, uh, for the sake of argument. The, the most famous Rebbeim, Rabbi, Rabbi Shechter. No, he's only in YU. It's the post-sake for the OU. Rabbi Willick, he's only in YU. He's the Avbeton, RCA, the Beton of America. Okay. See, what characterized the is that Rebbe Chaim was the yeshiva. The yeshiva was Rebbe Chaim. His entire being and fiber were in the yeshiva. And this is what I said to you. Voloshim was Hashtetl. Who told me he was in Voloshim? Someone, someone said he visited. It's no secret today. They're, they're trying to turn it into a tourist attraction. It brings in money. And, and he, what's he doing in If He belongs in a big city. He wouldn't leave Voloshim he wouldn't leave the lushan I Because in the lushan the rabbinate was minor, the yeshiva was major. Not like Rabbi Yitzchol whose son Rabbi Tzvihir, saw what his father went through in the rabbinate, and all the actions, Nefesh and the father. All right, he didn't want the rabbinate try to escape, but he didn't succeed, Rabbi Tzvihir, Rabbi Novich. But, Reb Chaim had and in learning, in the yeshiva, and he was a constant presence. So much so that even, even at the time when he introduced learning around the clock, that at every moment there should be people learning around the clock. At times, he walked into the base medjish 10 o'clock at night and sat and learned for the next four hours. He he was the spirit, the example, the rosh yeshiva, the rebbe, and the lezion took off. Now, I want to introduce you to another volume. This volume, I believe, was the first Volume I purchased this in it's not the first. It's one of the one of the could be. It's the third volume I purchased when I came in. LA. I remember one volume I purchased was Rabbi Avram Chaim Freiman, the uh, uh, Professor Freiman the best, the best of German Orthodoxy. He was a total synthesis Shas Academia response to literature. And that volume had a great impact on my teaching, my thinking, on the history, uh, the whole history of marriage in response to literature. He pre- previously published Shuvat of Maimonides. Later, Professor Blau, many years later, Professor Blau did a more comprehensive job, had more material. Uh, Rabbi F- uh, Professor Freiman was killed in the convoy going up to Mount Scopus when the Arab Legionnaires killed Rehob Ayenchet, 78 people on that convoy. And he was on one of them going up to get books out of the library in Mount Scopus. It was an enclave that our soldiers were there, but they had to go through Jordanian territory. One of the his family never got over that that murder. His immediate family had a brother who was a doctor on the upper west side, Dr. Freiman. It's all from that family. Dr. Freiman's daughter, Rachel, was married to Professor Mark Steiner. article of Rachel. He died, Corona. He's a fabulous, fabulous people. Fabulous people. Ah. Now So, uh, a volume came out in 1970, a memorial volume for Volashim. See, what happened was in Israel, and this is not only Volashim, anyone who's done academic work in uh, Yad Vashem, what happened? Those people who survived came to Israel. Some went up in Canada, some in the United States, but many came to Israel. In Israel, they, they, as they acclimated and succeeded, and Israel was a country of immigrants, kebetzgaluyot. It still is, but then it was certainly much more pronounced. So uh, these people had landschaftshaf, and they, they would get together, remember, re, trying to remember the old country before Hitler. Ultimately, many books were published of memoirs about where they came from. The book I'm quoting from is about Voloshin. Sipura Shel Ha'ir V'shel Yeshivat Published in Tel Aviv, 1970. And it's a beautiful memoir volume of what Voloshin was and what came out of it. Beginning on page 230 is the memoir about the person we're quoting, Harab Moshe Shmuel Shapiro. And a fascinating article written by someone named Shimon Zak. Zak, by the way, stands for Zerah. Kodesh. Anyone who has the name Zach, it's Zera Kodesh. Babed is Ben Av Bechin. These are Babad. That's the Mitzchat Chinuch. These were Tevat. and uh, he writes about the Moshe Shmuel Shapiro. Now, what? It's very fascinating about his life. Why? Because it also shows yeah. you what developed, what came out of. The and why he is work on the is cited all over. First of all, it's like I told you that uh, his father studied in the original Lushen. In 1892, look well, at this: Lushen was shut down by the Tsarist government. Why the was shut down? We'll deal with in depth. It's one of the issues that the fall of communism opened the papers of the secret service and it shifts gears on why the closed down but leave that until we reach it chronologically. 1895 the reopened and Rav Moshe Shmuel Shapiro was part of the crowd that came And, and by the way my own grandfather, my mother's father, studied in at that time when it reopened, right before he went to America. And he already was a little broader. See, the when when we'll come to this in detail, the Haskalah had reached Eastern Europe, and you had people who wanted more than just pure Shas and Poskin. And uh, he was an individual that Shaz, uh, Paiskin, talmud chacham, but also world literature, particularly attractive with Russian literature. For whatever the reasons, Russian literature—you take the rub with constantly quotes from Tolstoy, Pushkin. The rub's mother, Rabitzin Peshev was totally conversant with Russian literature. Whether Oskar wants to admit it or not, Rabbi Kutler in his youth had a certain amount of bekiyut in Russian literature. It war and peace, human emotion, there was a lot to it. The Russians' literature, music, Beethoven, Tchaikovsky, others, It was quite a country, quite a country. It produced great minds and great achievement. This, of course, is during the Tsar's regime, communism later. You have to be politically correct. And unfortunately, Putin has returned the country to a good deal of thought control and communist control. I don't have to go any further There are four candidates for the presidency, Putin, two candidates who don't want to win, because they know what will happen to them if they win, and one candidate rotting away in jail. But uh, there was a great attraction. Now, this individual, who already in Europe published Under a Legend Yeshiva in Europe, he couldn't really find his place. He was a great Talmud Chacham, but there was an overlapping of academia and Haskalah which made him a little bit unique. He would have been a lot better off in Berlin, in Germany. Torim der In Europe, he didn't find his place. 1920s, came to the United States, it wasn't an easy decision, but perhaps in America he could find his place. And he became the executive director of Yeshiva Rabbeinu Chaim Berlin. And there he remained until retirement, something like 30 years. Max when you hear the word Yeshivat Rabbeinu Chayim Berlin, you think Flatbush anti-YU, oh. right wing. Today, today in Flatbush, Yeshiva Rabbeinu Chayim Berlin. What you don't realize was that Yeshiva Rabbeinu Chayim Berlin, which was the first Yeshiva to begin in Brooklyn, it was a lot more open-minded than it is today. It was... Even more open-minded than Torah Vadas, and Torah Vadas was much more open-minded than if you remember my lectures. Could you imagine they threw out people from Torah Vadas who were against going to college? You don't belong in Torah Vadas. Torahim derech America have to have college. We have Shraga Feivel Mendelovitch. His beautiful ad published in. Rakefet Aaron, volume four, when Rabbi Revel died, what love, what there are for Rabbi Revel. He was a, a different atmosphere. And someone like Rabbi Shapiro was at home there. A yeshiva, but it was broader. It could tolerate him. He could feel at home. What is most fascinating? is where he published a world of research published over the decades in Hadoa. Hadoa? Yehuda Dov never even heard of Hadoa. What's Hadoah? What are we talking about? Oh my, Hadoa. That's where the Rav published, first published. That's who we trusted. That's where his hespaid on Rabbi Hayala, his hespaid on the Brisker rav. That's where he was interviewed with Reb Lichtenstein claims the most important interview the rav ever gave on what he believes, what he thinks, published, republished, cited, recited. Hadoa was in Hebrew. Published weekly was... I could see it before my eyes. Large paper, black and white, magnificent articles, and all the Hebraists in America, and most of them were not just Hebraists, they were activists in Mizrahi. though it was supposedly more general, I wouldn't, don't want to use the word secular, but it was more like Mapai, Histadrut, Haddoa. But so many giants of Torah published there because they felt at home. It was Torah academia. It was broader. And this was the Rav. This is where the Rav and remember a guy named Rakhefit has given thousands of shrim on the rub. And he portrays the Rav, and correctly so, that he had this brisker hang-up on publishing. Not everything you think about do you have to say. Not everything you say do you write. Not everything you write do you publish. This was the Rav, this was brisk. Perfectionism. Well, if we're going to wait for perfectionism about the only thing we'll have published is when Max writes out another smicha. Well, he wrote out a smicha for why you graduate or publish the book on Hollywood in America and he uses a smicha as an introduction and approbation, etc. But real publication, if you're going to write, how do I know I was right? Trying to guess the past about Revel. Silver, how do I know I was right? All right, the Rav, I was in firmer ground because if people look do my work on the rub, it's quoting the Rav. Remember, Charlie, twice people corrected me on what I wrote. Idiots, I'm quoting the rub, That's not me. You're correcting the rub? All right, correct the rub. But don't correct Rakeffet. He's just translating from Yiddish to English. Morty, he felt at home, and the rather amazing. So, see, this is the personality of Rabbi Shapiro, and this was a graduate of the legend. It's a very different Vilna that you would imagine today. And he comes to America, and where does he find the home? Yeshiva Rabbi alheimim Berlin. And he's quoted and requoted Jewish Theological Seminary at the time it was claiming to be Orthodox and still within the continents of Torah. There was a professor Rifkin there, a very famous name, the librarian, also of a Vallusn graduate, also someone who had broadened. And he had the greatest derecheretz for Rabbi Shapiro. So this is one volume that has caught the attention both of the traditional yeshiva world, the arts world, and of the academic world. And Professor Stamfer quotes it time and again. Okay, let me go a step further and come to the very fascinating continuity of the luncheon. We're coming back to Repshol Stemple, to Professor Stempher and his work. And uh, eighteen twenty-one the Prime dies. And the whole question is who will succeed him? In eighteen twenty one With his death, it was the only time in Volusian history that the succession went smoothly. We will see that later on, World War III and World War IV breaks out. And it could be ultimately, in 1892, the destruction of Volusian is a result of the Battle of Succession. 1821, it went smoothly. Now, in all these battles of succession, it was always within the family. And this comes back to the point I made last week, or two weeks ago, or three weeks ago. Reb Chaim opens for he opens a family business. And as you recall, I said, this becomes a tradition for many Lithuanian yeshivat. The yeshiva belongs to the family. Velazhen, Slabatka, Hevron, Panovich, you can go on and on. Tells you gotta be part of the family. Is this good? Is this bad? So remember what we said, there are yeshivat that are public trusts. The greatest example in Europe was Yeshivat Khachme Lublin, which it could very well be because Rabbi Shapiro had no children, it was a public trust. In the United States, Yeshiva Tebz which has evolved into Yeshiva University, it's a public trust. Yeshivat Torah Vadas is a public trust. Chayim Berlin is open to question. There's been struggle from within, but nevertheless, Rabbi Aaron Shech, the son-in-law, is the one Rabbi Khaliva I showed you the picture yesterday, is the one that is the Rosh Yeshiva today. What's good and bad, when it's a family institution, what's good is it will continue. It's a business. Kenny, when you have a business, you want it to continue. You bring the children in, the grandchildren in. The downside? Who says the grandchildren are going to be great rebellion. So someone wrote to me that, uh, well, if the family brings in such individuals, they're going to be big lamdanim. So I wrote back to this person, a great London does not a great teacher make. It's not a question of just being a London. You have to be a London. You have to have what to teach. But you have to know how to teach. And you can take many examples. They, they, they wanted him to do the of v'tom chetamimim. He couldn't teach. He was so much above the generation. He, I mean, their stories are legendary that he picked up a chair and threw it at some great p'chachim. He didn't like what he was saying. He, he said about Yitzchol and quote take can a sure in Maybe he can understand a line in Tiswas. And you saying this that was a Yeah, because no one can equal his mind. But that doesn't make you a great teacher or a great post. You have seen the Chuva, the Rav the Rosen, the Raka Church. The ayun, the ayan, the ayan, the What's the thought process? All the by So you see the, 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 the the downside is, and I don't want to go further, Yeshiva tells that America is a perfect example of an institution that did not continue on the level because the third, fourth generation did not produce people capable of attracting students. When you're not a family institution, then of course the downside is after World War II Everything disappeared. There's no family to say, "Hey, it's my family furniture store. Keep it open." On the other hand, imagine a school where you'd see where Rav Yisroel Lichtenstein is the Rosh Yeshiva of Torah today. Okay, now and here. Uh, Professor Stamfer, I want to give an example to what you said. I, I'll end off with this, but give me a few minutes. Rabbi Yitzhak Velazhin, the son of Rabbi Chaim, his years, 1780, 1849. 1780, 1849, not such a long life. Made it to 69 he was his father's son. And the yeshiva belonged to his father. The yeshiva belonged to him. That he was brilliant? Absolutely. Was he on his father's level? No. He was the, not the Gadol Hadar. His father of Haim was one of the Gidole Yisrael. Talmud Mufak, of the Vilna Gong, Baki and Shasim Paiskim and Kolchat Torah Kula, and and the ability to teach, Rav Yitzchak Velashen, Chacham Charuts, Nichan Bekoshe Manhigut. But not the Gong his father was. Nevertheless, no one contested his taking over the yeshiva. And here I want to describe something which I don't know if Professor Stumpfer is familiar with. But his description from the memoir literature of Rabbi is exactly the feeling I had when I learned in Lakewood about the Schneer Katler. I remember the elder students in Lakewood telling me sarcastically, we stand up for Schneer, but he's not his father. We stand up, he's his father's son. These were the exact words. And that's a perfect example. He was not. a Chaim was in... Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Cutler was in elui. Shnei was not an elui. It's a big Talmud Chacham. He learned with his father. He learned with his grandfather, Rabbi Sazalman. All of World War II. He was here in Palestine. Or a good deal of World War II. Learning, learning with Rabbi Sazalman. Well, he wasn't the elui that Rabarin was. But... He was a good market share. He had leadership ability. He had the ability to take Lakewood from a 100 plus students to hundreds and hundreds of students. He had the ability to develop a much broader support system for Lakewood. But but I recall from what I heard and saw with my own ears, it's exactly like Rabbi Yitzchak. There's no question he succeeded, Rabbi Aaron, no question he succeeded, Rabbi Chaim. London, absolutely. Not the Gadol Hadar, not the greatest people. But there was no machlechus. Like the yeshiva belonged to Rabbi Yitzchak. Now... Was he like his father in thinking? Was he broader than his father? And here we have some very interesting memoir literature. And I introduced you to someone named Max Lilienthal. Max Lilienthal, years 1815, 1880... Max Lilienthal a product of Germany raised in the Torah world knew how to learn but broadened Haskalah wound up 1845 in the United States in Cincinnati you can check all this out moderate reform not extreme Weiss was more reformed than him probably by today's standards you would call Max Lilienthal conservative not even left of center and conservative a centrist in the conservative movement if that still exists today Max Lilienthal because he was observant and more exposed to Haskalah, the Tsar brought him over to Russia. The, when we say the Tsar, we mean the educational system in Russia under the Tsar. And one of the great problems that challenged them was the narrow-mindedness of the Torah education in Russia. And they wanted the Russian Jews to broaden. And here's where Lilienthal gets involved, very powerful uh, government behind him, and gets to know the leaders of the educational system in Russia. And one of the people he knew best was Rabbi Yitzhak Volashen. This is the famous story that in the 1840s, right before he ran away to America, he called the conference and Rabbi Yitzhak Volashen and the third Lubavitcher the Tzemach Tzedek were the main people who attended this conference. Lillian Tall later, and I say this to his credit, saw some secret Russian documents. And in these documents, the Ministry of Education was expressing an attitude, let's broaden the Jews, and in a generation or two, there'll be mass con- version away from Judaism, Russian Orthodox. To Lilienthal's credit, when he saw the documents, he said that's it, and secretly ran back to Germany, got to Hamburg, got on the next boat to the United States, where he is recalled until today in any course in American Jewish history. One of the leaders of reform, Cincinnati, ultimately becoming the city of Reform Judaism, the Hebrew this institute there for ordaining rabbis began in Cincinnati, etc. But he ran away because he didn't want to be involved with any scheme that would ultimately lead to conversion of Jews. Now, he left memoir literature and he describes Rabbi Yitzchak. Again, we don't know if this is the real Reb Yitzchak because there are many faces that a public figure has to put on. Could be that Rabbi Yitzchak, in order to get along with Max Lillian Paul, could be he put on a more open viewpoint but there's no question we have other memoir literature from gentiles who met and were blown away by his command of languages he was totally at home in polish in russian new german a gentile records meeting him and says he knew Greek and Latin. So you see, he was much broader in the sense he was a citizen of the world. It's hard for us to comprehend today that someone could be a rub in Russia and Poland and not no Russian, not no Polish. He would have to take along a Jew who was a businessman and had access to these languages to translate for him. Rabbi Yitzchak could speak with Jews, non-Jews, in their language, totally uh, at Lilienthal says in his memoir literature, he doesn't know whether he knew Russian literature, Polish literature, German literature, but as far as the language totally at home. Now, more than that, uh, Lilienthal says that in their conversations he was open to understanding that there had to be some basic reformation of the Chadarim. In other words, What we spoke about an hour and a half ago, core curriculum, Reb Yitzchak understood the need for core curriculum. This is the picture we get of him. What's fascinating is, when you start thinking about this, tell me. Isn't this a perfect description of his great 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 grandson, Moi Rebi, Rabbi Yosef Dov Halevi Salavetsik? Totally at home, the Ravnu Russian, the Ravnu Polish, the Ravnu German, the Ravnu English, the Ravnu Modern Hebrew. It's fascinating. The Rav core curriculum. What's the question? Abba Branspiegel in his Hespert for the rub during the schleswig and and YU every night someone else spoke about the Rav. Abba said the Rav told me I have to get a doctorate at Bernard Revel, encouraged me. The audience laughed. Did you know Rabbi Branspiegel? Uh, Charlie, in your time he wasn't teaching yet, right? No, it's too early, too early. You remember me. What year did you graduate high school? 62, so one second, 62 was my first year, so you came, you read right before I started teaching, I started teaching September 62 in YU, so all right, it's, it's, it's you're before us, you're before, you're almost catching up with us, 62 means we're seven years apart, okay, all right, 62, Ah, I had great students in 62, but they already were beyond you, they were, Entering or second-year high school. Anyway, coming back here. was he the Rav? And here's Stumpha, and I'll depend upon Stumpha's conclusion, but I have to say it's also my own feeling, although I can't say I'm an expert. This is not my field of expertise. I didn't do my doctorate on this era. You see, he was broader than his father, but he was not swept away by the Haskalah. Rabbi yes, he had to know languages. He was dealing with the reality. He had students from Poland, students from Russia, students from Germany. He had to deal with, with Lilienthal. Paul. He had to know languages. He wasn't opposed to core curriculum. For that matter, the Vilna wouldn't be opposed to core curriculum. But Tachaskala, as we knew it in Germany, and in parts of Hungary already had not yet taken root in Volusia, in that area. So it wasn't that he was a Moscow, but he was more open. There are no two ways about it. They were not censoring books in Volusia at that time. If a kid was studying mathematics, interested in biology, world history, no one looked askance at it in Volusia at that time. Yes, the Rav, his direct descendant, but the Rav was much more than just open to it. The Rav already was convinced it was necessary. It was required. The Rav, you must live in the Western world. You can't hide in the ghetto. The Rav could never make his peace with those that were building a ghetto in America. The Return to Zion. Do you have the book yet? Study it. You won't walk away with the impression that the Rav was just open to Haskalah, just open to Mizrahi. He was a Moskel. He was a Mizrachiite. Right. He published <coughs> in Hadoa. Don't forget what Haddoah was. It was a Hebrew weekly for Zionists. Not just religious Zionists, for run-of-the-mill Zionists, Mapayniks, general Zionists, all through that period, Heirut Zionists. Not only religious. See, there's a difference in in the outlook, the stance, the Weltanschauung, uh, sir. The is absolutely right here. This is Reb Yitzchak. More open? No two ways about it. But on the other hand, it's not yet a mosque, not yet a scholar. It's not yet the challenges of Reb Shinshul full What the Jews first in Germany later transfers to Eastern Europe, follows us to Palestine, Eretz Israel. And we live with this in the United States at this very moment. La'an. A world of difference between Lakewood and Yeshiva University. All right. The succession worked very beautifully. And Reb Yitzchak took over the Yeshiva, continued the Yeshiva. There was no challenge no ibis no time that you would say the yeshiva was in question the yeshiva was shaking the yeshiva had questions about tomorrow, which way to go Rabbi Yitzchak was as Chazal say, a son bara a son in the image of his father my dear students, what have we accomplished today? We picked up the and we traced it through the whole question of emotion learning all the way down to Jeffrey Sachs, all the way down to Karov Velecha, all the way down to what's challenged us today. How do we achieve students? who can have the finest chinuch in the world and will not fall prey to Woodstock. This is a tremendous challenge. By the way, it's all surfacing. Everything we've kept quiet. Again, over the weekend, I saw so many articles. How could it be that so many graduates of the finest chinuch, both in our world and in the Haredi world, wind up at Woodstock on a Friday night that is also Shminiat Atzeret and Simchat Torah. Yehuda Dov, where did we fail? Big question mark. And we have to deal with it. I have confidence the next generation of great Machanchem will find the answers. But the challenge is there. Uh, We also dealt with Rabbi Yitzchak, the succession, who Rabbi Yitzchak was. But this is the last succession that comes quietly and peacefully. One warning, Sunday's class, do not let any of your wives any near this classroom because two hydrogen bombs are going to fall. And see and Max, I'm warning you in advance, if you go back and tell your wives what I am quoting from Reb Klein and from some other Hungarian love, there'll be murder in Grus. Boy, Agatha Christie will have a field day here. And Jack... You're gonna get an answer to your question, where is Rabbanasha Klein different? What he will do next Sunday. He gives an answer to a silly question and you go write your quote, post it, and that's it. And then he gives Musa Oh my the dove. you have a wonderful wife, don't let her near this classroom. I don't wanna be accused of creating terrible, scathing problems. Kenny, we're going to have so much fun, you can tell Annie about the class, believe me. She's a student of mine, and she's she's able to handle it and tolerate it. Gentlemen, I want to thank you very much. We have a full classroom, I horror. I'm very, very happy, and you make my life. And as I began an hour and a half ago, there was bad news today and good news today. Let's hope that we only have good news in the future. And the good news is overwhelming. I mean, you've got to understand what an operation like this means and to know exactly where and how and to pull it off and with land, air, and sea forces. Boy, I'm waiting to see the memoir literature. Ten years from now, there'll be a book, what happened on February 12th, 2024. Yomo, open it up until we meet again in health and happiness. Dasvadanya. Yomo, open it up. Uh, what did what, you say? Yeah. Are there any questions from around the world? Sure, when you said about Rav Zaks, that um, my father was a freshman in MTA, they were learning giddy, and it was about selling with a shliach, with, with cats, I think. So Rav Zaks came into Bahar, so he turned to one student and he said, Vos is and I was this sliches? I like, sliches? he said, sliches, sliches. is what we say for Ferozhah. No, that's right. It says, sliches becomes sliches. Was this sliches? Oh, yeah, I remember of Mendel so well. And uh, I don't know if you know about the cigarettes. He'd break every cigarette in half. And he'd smoke it down till you were worried. He's, his fingers, from all the fire and smoke, they didn't feel anything. They, they had layers of skin that, that were insensitive already. And that was Rev. Mendel. I met him in Yudasalayim and he already was much older, and and, and he looked at me and said, I know you, I know you. And I told him, Rebbe, I was a Rebbe in the yeshiva, and you gave, I was like that you gave me beginners, and gave my students beginners. And he laughed, he broke into a laugh. A world gone by, but I'm not stupid enough to think that my great-grandsons who are learning Gemara, that it's we're in Yiddish and the are also learning Shlichus Shlichus Shabbos Shabbos we gotta be smart. That we gotta do do Okay. Are there any more questions? in those days, did they have a family name? Wait, I didn't hear what he said. That, that's Yitzchak. Can you open open it up? Why do you have Yitzchak? Can repeat it. Did they have a family name for for Lushen? No, he to his father. Yeah, we spoke about, what was the family name we uncovered? Iskowitz. 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 Yeah, they had a family name, Itskowitz, And I'm not certain if that was the real name or a name they just took because the Tsar required it. But whenever you see a family name, it's Iskowitz. Yeah, correct. All right, I have to sign off here. And until we meet again, thank you so much for being with us. Keep your wives away from the screen on Sunday. Nachim, uh, it's nothing to laugh at. If you value your neck, keep your wives away from the screen. I can't believe, I can't believe what's fed into my hands. Are you willing to tell us uh, the a number now? Tell you what, what? The number? Are you willing to develop i them? I don't have it. I, I don't have it in front of me. But the main slaughter is not in the chub, it's from another Hungarian. So it's not going to help you. We'll get no, there Sunday Bezrat Until we meet again in health and happiness, Okay.